Hi, welcome to this episode of Larry's Techie Musings. Today I'm going to be doing a breakdown of COVID vaccines, basically a high-level look at what the vaccines are, the different types, kind of where they are, and um, some government programs that are happening to kind of help speed them along. So a couple of disclaimers before I get started. The first one I'll call my uh, my amateur alert. So that, that I'm going to start by saying I am not a scientist. I'll probably say that a couple more times, but um, I have no scientific training. Um, I'm just a guy doing a podcast interested in technology, um, interested in the tech and the science around vaccines. And so I'm doing a pod on it. The, uh, the second disclaimer is that um, I know that uh, right now the coronavirus or COVID-19 uh, and the vaccines are both highly, uh, highly politicized subjects. Um, and <clears throat> I, uh, I'm not going to be getting into the politics of that. Um, uh, this is an apolitical podcast, uh, and I'm really only interested in, you know, looking at the science and the tech around the COVID vaccines and the related processes. Um, so I'm going to be, you know, sourcing and citing information that I pulled off the internet. Um, and I'm trying to be very clear about citing my sources. Um, and so, you know, a lot of direct quotes will be happening because I don't want to mischaracterize the science. So COVID-19 vaccines, what are they? How are they doing? What do they look like? So with any research topic, I like to start by defining or, or scoping out the sort of four corners of the map um, and working within the, the square or the rectangle that's provided. So the first thing I did was go to dictionary.com and look up the definition of a vaccine. So according to dictionary.com, a vaccine is, quote, a substance used to stimulate the production of antibodies and provide immunity against one or several diseases prepared from the causative agent of a disease, its products or synthetic substitute substitute treated to act as an antigen without inducing disease. And an example in a sentence would be, we used a vaccine so we didn't get the virus. So key within that is the concept of a vaccine as a preventative measure. So you, you take a vaccine or are given a vaccine to prevent you from you know, getting a given disease. So it usually can't help once you have it, it's to prevent you from getting it. So according to uh, Johns Hopkins, uh, the John Hopkins website I looked at, there are three different types of, of vaccines that are being developed. Um, the first one is called an inactivated vaccine. The second one is called protein-based vaccines. And then the third one is called viral vector vaccines. So these are all different pathways to get to the same destination. That is to say, they all, um, if they're successful, will be preventative measures that will help people from not uh, to avoid getting COVID. So all of these vaccines have uh, a common set of what um, Johns Hopkins called desired vaccine characteristics. So I'm going to list these out now at a high level. So the first one is that the vaccine is safe and it's associated with what they call only quote mild transient side effects and examples they give are soreness or a low grade fever so it works right it works and it um 
it doesn't make someone too ill or too um, incapacitated or whatever in a process of, of conferring that immunity. The second one is that it gives, it confers long lasting protection and they define that as more than a season. So more than summer, more than spring and a high population of vaccine recipients. So greater than 80%. And those are particularly in vulnerable populations such as older adults and those with underlying medical conditions or risk factors maybe such as obesity or diabetes. Um, So basically protecting people especially protecting people in, um, you know, more vulnerable populations. And, and that's a big factor with COVID where, you know, people are older or sicker and they get, they get the disease versus somebody who is you know, younger, healthier, the chances of, you know, um, adverse, adverse side effects from it or, you know, death go up pretty significantly. So the third one is they protect, again, they protect that person from trans, um, from getting it, but also pre- prevent that person from transmitting the virus to others. The fourth is that it can be administered as a single dose. And I think from what we've seen so far, it's really more of a two, two dose situation, but you know, basically a small number of doses. Number five, it can be quickly and easily produced in large quantities. Number six can be easily stored. Um, so a factor here is you know, that they don't have to be stored in what they call, quote, ultra low temperatures. And I'll get into that a little bit more. Um, And in packaging that does not require a lot of space. Number seven, they can be transported. So um, I'll be getting into this a little more, but basically from what I've heard, there's really vaccine production and then there's vaccination. And vaccination can be thought of as the shipping and the administering of the vaccine. Um, and if you create something that, you know, is too hard to store and ship and administer, then it's kind of useless. So you have to meet that condition in order to make this, you know, a desired vaccine. So number eight is they can be easily administered. So, um, you know, can, doesn't require special services, can be self-administered or administered by those who don't require much training. Um, so... I'm going to go over the three different types now. So the first type is what Johns Hopkins calls the inactivated virus vaccine. So these are what I think of as, quote, classic vaccines. So basically, this involves taking a, quote, inactivated version of a virus that is stripped of its ability to reproduce and, and multiply, and then injecting that intravenously into people so that they can trigger their immune responses for against said virus. So uh, without making them sick, right? So basically, this is the idea of an, of an old or, or reduced or maybe a dead version of the virus and that being injected into someone and then, you know, bang their immune. Um, so according to Johns Hopkins, for um, SARS-CoV-2, of which um, COVID-19 is a type, Antibodies that bind to and block the spike protein on the virus's surface are thought to be the most important for protection of the disease because the spike protein is what attaches to human cells, allowing the virus to enter. Blocking this entrance prevents infection and thus the transmission of the disease to others. So there are some big companies pursuing these inactivated virus vaccine types. These include uh, Sinovac Biotech, Sinopharm, the Wuhan Institute of Biological Products, and those are all Chinese companies, and Bharat Biotech. And I don't know where Bharat Biotech is from. 
Um, the second type is uh, what they call protein-based vaccines. So the companies pursuing protein-based vaccines include Novavax, Sanofi, GlaxoSmithKline, which is a big one, and, um, and Spy Biotech. So protein vaccine, so there, I, I got a little quote about it earlier, but if you think of the spike protein as the mechanism in the, in the virus that allows it to dig into a person and to, you know, make that person sick and replicate and, and such, um, that, and uh, the, the article says, this means um, either the, quote, spike protein of the surface of the virus or a por- portion of the spike protein called the receptor binding domain, which binds to host cells, i.e. where the cell viruses can replicate. These protein-based or subunit vaccines work like inactivated vaccines by exposing the, the immune system to viral proteins and inducing protective immunoresponses without causing disease. In the case of protein vaccine, this is because no genes are necessary for viral, no genes necessary for viral, viral replication are included within the vaccine. So basically what's happening here is essentially if you take, you're taking the process that you use inactivated vaccines for, which is, you know, the, the old um, version of the disease. And, and basically you're just pulling out the protein piece or the piece that does the binding and essentially putting that into a person to um, trigger an immuno response. So the idea here is you've, you've, um, you've used science and technology to strip out the part that allows the virus to replicate, and you've just left in the part that basically will trigger the immuno response. So there are already examples of these, um, these vaccines that are being used um, out in the world. For example, Hep B, shingles, uh, the bacteria <clears throat> that causes, excuse me, that causes whooping cough or pertussis. Um, and there are different ways of producing these recombinant viral uh, proteins, including the production of the virus protein in a yeast or insect cells. Protein-based vaccines can, ha- can be packaged in different ways and combined with uh, what they call vaccine adjutants or additives in small qualities, quantities that improve or enhance immune responses. Um, so for example, the Novavax SARS-CoV-2 vaccine uses nanoparticles of cholesterol, phospholipid and saponins from the soap bark tree to deliver to deliver viral proteins to the cells of the immune system and stimulate strong immuno responses. Uh, the addition to of adjutants to vaccines is another common way of of um, enhancing the immune responses. Okay, so uh, the third type of vaccine um, is the the. In my mind, the, the most, quote, cutting edge, um, most uh, sciencey one, <laughs> and I'm wearing my science hat when I say that, um, it's, they're called the viral vector vaccines. So viral vector vaccines use um, another non-replicating virus to deliver the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine in the form of DNA into human cells where, where viral proteins are produced to induce immune responses. So it's, it's interesting. Basically, they, um, they take another virus um, such as, let's see, um, current, current SARS-CoV-2 viral vectored vaccines use non-replicating human or chimpanzee adenoviruses, including those used by the University of Oxford Johnson & Johnson 
CanSino Biologics, Gamalaya Research, and Russian Ministry of Health. So basically, they use these these um, these other viruses and um, attach to they are done with they are transcribed or copied into the messenger RNA, which is translated into the proteins. So basically, they hitch a ride on this other virus, get into people and get into the messenger RNA, but then they don't replicate. So essentially, you're you're taking you're taking one virus. Um, taking a portion of it, attaching it to another virus, making that other virus, setting it up in such a way that the other virus will not replicate, and then injecting that into a person so that it can then go into their RNA and reproduce, which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, the this this viral um, vector technology is new to me, but I remember reading, ah, here it is. So viral vectors have been studied for several dec- decades for gene therapy to treat cancer and for research into molecular biology as well as vaccines. Viral vectors other than adenoviruses include retroviruses and the vaccinia virus that is used to prevent smallpox. And um, it looks like in in mid-2020, the adenovirus was was approved in the European Commission for Ebola. So this is this, um, I'll call it new form of creating a, a, um, a vaccine delivery mechanism via another uh, stripped down virus is um, you know already being used for another disease Ebola which is you know caused a lot of caused a lot of harm to people um, and what's interesting about this one is that it really seems to be in in the, the vaccine race so far and I'm recording this as of November 19th 2020 it's these new um, these new, uh, viral vector vaccines that seem to be having the most success. Um, and I'll, I'll come to the, the, the um, current lead, the current leaders in, in the vaccine race um, at the end, but I want to go over a couple more things first. Um, so right now, uh, there's a breakdown. There is, um, in the same article, there's a breakdown on the advantages and disadvantages of the vaccine types. And basically right now, you know they're all being tried out. So the the um, the older technique of the um, inactivated virus vaccines, and even to a lesser extent the protein-based vaccines, have a longer history um, and a more proven technology, um, at least in terms of delivering vaccine. And so that those are more well known. But at least so far, based on what I've seen, the viral vector ones um, seem to be producing results faster and are going to be more quickly to market. Um, so that's kind of the what. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the how. And when I say the how, I mean um, you have how these, that's that's how the vaccines are being produced, not in terms of the process of vaccination. So, and I'm just speaking about the U.S. here because um, that's where I live and I, I don't have enough expertise to speak about outside of what's going on outside of this country. Um, I haven't done much reading on that. But within the U.S., there <clears throat> has been a, uh, an interagency project called Operation Warp Speed, which has um, received a lot of press uh, in the U.S. And this is being operated out of the Health and Human Services, or HHS, department, which is a federal agency. So it's being over, overseen by HHS Secretary Alex Azar. 
um, in combination with Acting Defense Sec- Secretary Christopher Miller. Um, and basically, the goal of Operation Warp Speed is to, quote, produce and deliver 300 million doses of safe and effective vaccine, with the initial doses being available by January 2021 as part of a broader strategy to accelerate the development, manufacturing, and distribution of vaccine of COVID-19 vaccines, therapeutics, and diagnostics with what they collectively call countermeasures. So basically, this agency and kind of an alphabet soup of other agencies are working together to streamline the development process. There was, I think, $10 billion apportioned by Congress, um, most of it going to um, coordination and then some of it to research to basically streamline the development and then regulatory approval and then distribution of these vaccines. So, yeah, so there is a six, sorry, I misspoke a little bit. There's a $6.5 billion dollar $10 billion were allocated from Congress for um, Operation Warp Speed. $6.5 billion was designed for, quote, countermeasure development, and then $3 billion for research into NIH. So, and basically these, um, so research, um, and a lot of the, a lot of the vaccines that are being produced, you know, and partly rely on Operation Warp Speed money. Uh, I think there's one coming out from Pfizer right now that I'm going to talk about in a minute that up until now has not been involved with Operation Warp Speed, at least according to Pfizer. Um, But then there's another one coming out from Moderna that has. Um, I think that Operation Warp Speed will more get involved in streamlining the approval process for these vaccines, at least relative to the Pfizer one, um, and I think the distribution. Um, So now, and then basically what happens is once these vaccines are they've been created or they're in the process of being created. They, they're going through different phases of trials. Um, and uh, the last one is what they call phase three. Again, not a scientist, but my understanding is that phase three ba- basically focuses on, it's, it's the big hurdle to jump. You get large statistically significant and representative groups of people. Um, you do double blind placebo controlled studies to look at medic, you know, the vaccine efficacy. And um, so, and if those work and the data is good and um, that's submitted to FDA and if they approve it, then you begin to go through the regulatory hoops. Um, so now uh, at this point, I'll talk about the two top contenders, at least that I've seen at this moment. And, and again, this is, I'm just a uh, one citizen monitoring the news. So there's a lot that I don't know. But what I've seen, there's basically two front runners right now. So one is, um, and these are both viral vector vaccines based on the three types that I described. So the first one is, um, is a combination of work being done by Pfizer and BioNTech. Um, so they concluded their phase three stud- studies um, a few days ago, and they said that based on their analysis of the phase three data, it was, quote, 95% effective against COVID-19 beginning at 28 days after the first dose. Um, and the efficacy was seen across all of the major demographics, including 94% effective above 65 years of age, which is huge. Um, they passed, according to their press release, they passed the safety data milestone required by the FDA. Um, and they have submitted for what they call emergency use authorization or EUA which is basically authorization to use 
the vaccine. Um, as long as we're in a pandemic situation, which they're in now, um, it's, a, it's a sort of quick and dirty approval. Um, they did show, so that their, their sample size was, their universe was 43,000 people in the phase three studies. Um, they did show that, quote, no serious safety concerns were observed. Um, the only grade three adverse event greater than 2% in frequency, 2% in frequency, was fatigue at 3.8% and headache at 2%. So that's huge, right? If you have 43,000 people um, and whatever percent got the, got the um, you know, the vaccine versus the placebo, 3.8% um, of them got a little tired and 2% got a headache, right? That's huge. Um, that's huge, especially given the 94 plus percent efficacy. Um, so they are submitting to FDA and basically their plan is 50 million vaccine doses in 2020 and up to 1.3 billion um, by the end of 2021. Um, they do, based on my reading, they do need to have um, very, very cold uh, storage for the vaccine. So that's kind of a little bit of a hurdle. Um, I think they call it sub-freezing, but I forget the exact temperature, but basically it has to be really kept really, really cold up until um, delivery. And so that may produce a challenge, um, but it's there. I mean, it's basically at the finish line, at least Pfizer thinks so. And they've given it to FDA and they're saying, you know, go nuts. Um, so the second vaccine, uh, and this one is... Um, from a interestingly from a company called Moderna which doesn't have any products yet so Pfizer is obviously big and they've been doing vaccines and pharma for a long time but Pfizer is, is a new company I believe it's less than a year old um, and they decided to you know I think they got a huge infusion I want to say a billion 1.5 billion from Operation Warp Speed at the beginning of the year and they're producing um, so they have their vaccine their um, viral vector mRNA vaccine. Um, and they basically have similar numbers. I think they might even have 95% of efficacy according to their data. Um, and so they, they're in kind of the same boat as Pfizer. Um, I think that what they have over, as an advantage over Pfizer is that their vaccine only has to be stored at, at um, refrigerated, normal refrigerated temperatures. So, you know, just gonna say, maybe 30 degrees versus, you know, negative 50. And so it's going to be a lot easier to store, uh, you know, to mass produce and mass mass store and, and transport something that can be kept in the back of a refrigerator car versus, I don't know, <laughs> something much, much colder. Um, and uh, and Dr. Fauci said on both of these that um, the, the, the initial estimates of vaccine efficacy have been, quote, far better than he, than he anticipated. Um, so there's a lot more vaccines coming down the line. I know that Johnson & Johnson and um, AstraZeneca and others have yet to present their data. And my suspicion is that I think that one of the factors that I heard in terms of COVID itself is that it's a relatively, it's a relatively stable, um, stable virus. So it doesn't it doesn't uh, mutate much. And so it's kind of a slow moving target and probably, again, not a scientist, but making an obvious conclusion that one of the reasons that this um, viral, uh, this vaccine process has been relatively quick and smooth is that they're hitting a kind of big slow moving target. So 
anyway, this is all really good news. Um, and I, the science for me is really interesting. Um, I may do another pod on this. I'm going to keep researching it. And if I find that there are pieces that I haven't touched on before, I may dig into that in a separate pod. But anyway, um, hope you found this interesting. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Bye.